Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Your Future. Today, our topic is how leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that with us today is... Dr. Gleb Sapursky. Thank you. So Gleb empowers leaders to avoid business disasters as a consultant, coach, speaker, trainer, and the CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts. He's a best-selling author. He wrote Never Go With Your Gut and The Truth Seeker's Handbook. He has strong research background as an academic in behavioral economics and neuroscience. His cutting-edge thought leadership was featured in over 400 articles and 350 interviews, and he's young, in Time Magazine, (laughs) Fast Company, CBS News, Inc. Magazine, CNBC, and elsewhere. You can learn more and get a free copy of his assessment on dangerous judgment errors in the workplace at the website disasteravoidanceexperts.com slash subscribe. And he'll give you more information on that at the end of the, the session. So the biggest falsehood in business leadership and career advice may also be the most repeated. Go with your gut. So I'm not going to say that during the session. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, it's terrible advice because going with your gut leads to dangerous judgment errors that behavioral economists and cognitive neuroscience scholars call cognitive bias, which leads to disastrous decisions that devastate highly profitable companies, top-notch careers, and great business relationships. By combing practical case studies with cutting-edge research, the book Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and avoid business disasters, helps business leaders make the best decisions and prevent business disasters. So, Gleb, thank you, first of all, for joining us with your incredibly busy schedule of speaking and writing and interviews. Thank you. I really appreciate being here, Maureen, and I'm glad to be here to be returning to this interview session for the second time. I think I was on it once before. You were, and we use your interview in many of our leadership classes as a foundation for emerging executectives and helping them make better decisions. And That's so this will be a a 201. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 101 and 201 of your research. So, um why do you say that you should never go with your gut in business decisions? 
You know, that advice to go with your gut is something that really pisses me off. <laughs> okay, and it's, why? It pisses I... me off because it's so commonly repeated and it's such a big falsehood. Business leaders tend to go with their gut and they tend to tell others to go with their gut. And we can talk later in their interview about exactly why that happens. But they make really bad decisions. You know, there was a study conducted in... Uh, 2007, on the 423 U.S. companies that went bankrupt from 1981 to 2007 that had over $500 million in annual revenue. So really large companies. And they found that uh, 46% of these companies went bankrupt because of strategic decisions by their leaders. Without research, they weren't working with companies like McKinsey. No. No, they were really, leaders were going with their intuitions. They thought that this is the way they should go. And they made terrible decisions that led to the companies going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And this tends to happen to leaders all the time, even for smaller companies. If you think about small businesses, you can look at the Small Business Administration and see that within five years, about half of all small businesses that open up go bankrupt. They close their doors. Another example of people making bad decisions, not studying the landscape up ahead and going bankrupt. And some of those should never have started their businesses. And that's why, and that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. They haven't thought about it. They haven't examined things. They felt that they should go ahead. They Mm -hmm. felt that they had a good product. And so here we go back to feelings because going Mm -hmm. with your gut is about doing things because you feel that they are the right things. Our gut intuitions are adapted for the savannah, not the modern business environment. So when we feel we should do something. That's just the Savannah environment telling us we have comfort. We feel comfortable with something. That's not anything about external business reality and the pragmatics of what we should actually do in order to succeed and maximize our bottom line. So when you say going with the, they're adjusted to the Savannah, you're saying early in our existence, so our our primitive brain, not our cognitive brain. Right. So our primitive brain, what I call the autopilot system, so that is something that's adapted for the savannah environment, which means living in small tribes of up to 150 people, but usually a few dozen, and go and the fight or flight response, responding to saber-toothed tigers. You know, mm-hmm. it was really good and important for us to have the saber-toothed tiger response back in the savannah many millions of years ago because that's how we survived. Our ancestors survived because they jumped at a hundred shadows and actually mm-hmm. ran, got away from the saber-toothed tiger that was in that one instance. However, in our business environment, in our current environment, we should not jump at a hundred shadows. That causes us to make terrible decisions if we jump at a hundred shadows mm-hmm. because it's not nearly as terrible. We don't have a saber-toothed tiger hiding behind the 100 shadows, behind those shadows. So we make really bad decisions when we use the fight-or-flight response, and we make really bad decisions when we go with our tribal environment. Now think what it meant to live in a tribe. That meant you trust only people who look like you, who think like you, who collaborate with you. And in our current global globalized business environment that leads to some pretty terrible decisions. So you're actually getting now down to the neuroscience and the brain wiring Mm -hmm. that we are pre-programmed to be biased against people who look different. We are programmed to be biased against people who look different, but this is not only about diversity. This is all sorts of 
differences. So let's say we have someone who thinks differently from we do. Not anything uh, having to do with ethnicity, gender, not anything like that. If you look at, I mean, I've done consulting and coaching for over 20 years for companies. I've seen business leaders hire people who think just like they do, mm -hmm. even though their whole of their background is, uh, you know, might be different or not. They mm -hmm. hire people who think like they do. And that leads to terrible decisions because they just reinforce the same mm -hmm. thought patterns that the business leader currently has, as opposed to arguing and questioning some of these thought patterns. Now, extensive research has shown that cognitive diversity, meaning people who think differently than you do, is so incredibly important for making the right decisions. Mm -hmm. And wise business leaders know that they need to hire people who actually don't think like they do, who would question them. But unfortunately, that often doesn't happen for business leaders who don't have that experience and who haven't thought through these sorts of questions. Well, and who haven't been educated on the the risks of bringing in people who are different. It is easier to work with people who act just like us, right? It's they agree with us. <laughs> I, and well, I realize, given my work, that that's a bad idea, <laughs> but it's easier. It's absolutely easier, and it's incredibly more dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want your company to be built to last, you want to be bringing in people who are diverse. Mm -hmm. And again, it's great to have all sorts of visible diversity, but the invisible diversity is what I focus on because some few people talk about this. They talk about business gurus talk about going with their gut, hire people who you feel good about, who you trust. Mm -hmm. And you tend to trust people who are just like you. And it's really interesting if when you look at interviews, you, you'll see that the research shows that unstructured interviews, when you just talk to people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. have been shown to be completely not correlated to success in the workplace. Meaning it's just like throwing, you know, it's like a monkey throwing uh, a dart on a, on a board. Mm -hmm. That's what unstructured interviews, when you just talk to someone and see if you click. Mm -hmm. That's how well they work to predict whether someone succeeds in the workplace. But that's what people, business leaders tend to do mm -hmm. who don't have that education and who don't think about hiring the person who will complement their weaknesses and their strengths as opposed to having the same weaknesses and mm -hmm. the same strengths, which is what most people tend to do. And when I was at Accenture, we used behavioral interviewing. Now, mm -hmm. that was a long time ago, so presumably they do something more advanced now. But it was a very structured process, and we had very specific answers we were looking for. And again, presumably to address the very things you're talking about. Yes. So that's when larger companies who have, start, who have learned these sorts of topics do more structured interviews. Now, that's not the best thing to do, but it's certainly something that will help address a lot of these problems. So when I work with leaders, there are a number of strategies that we can use to address the mm -hmm. kind of problems we discuss. We can get to a good enough place, which mm -hmm. is the sort of behavioral interviews that you talked mm -hmm. about with Accenture, or we can take go to an optimal place. So for a frontline employee, it's fine to use a good enough method of behavioral interview. But when you're hiring someone who is a middle management, and especially at the C-suite level, you want to use more advanced techniques. And we can talk about those as well. But those are the that's the difference between the structured techniques you can use to avoid these dangerous judgment errors that scholars and practitioners like myself call cognitive biases. So just a quick, uh, before we wrap up this segment, if this is such a bad idea, mm -hmm. it's probably not a secret that it's a bad idea. So why do so many prominent business leaders 
tout that going with your gut is the right way to go? So there are two categories of advice givers. One is business gurus, one is business leaders. Business gurus give such advice because honestly, it's very popular and they get paid to give advice that feels comfortable. It's very profitable to give people advice that they like to hear. That sounds like malpractice. Unfortunately, we don't have uh, malpractice, <laughs> you know, for coaches and consultants. We don't have the ethical standards that would lead to malpractice. If this was a profession that was monitored like psychology, social work, it would definitely be malpractice. But right now, these are the people who get paid big bucks because they tell people what they want to hear. And if you've ever looked at um, if you've ever worked with prominent business leaders who say they they don't want to hear good things, they want to hear the critical things, and when you actually observe, when I, I mean, when I shadowed some of these business leaders, you'll tend to see that what they favor and what they reward are uh, brown nosers, let's say it that way, people who hmm. actually give them what they want to hear as opposed to the hard truth. And that's a behavior I often work with with people who don't want mm -hmm. to hear that that's what happens, but they realize they need to address this sort of behavior. The rewarding of people who tell you what they want to hear, mm -hmm. as opposed to people who tell you the hard, uncomfortable truths, because it's uncomfortable and we feel bad about it. So that's what the business gurus tend to do. And you'll see, you'll see prominent people, you know, people like Tony Robbins and so on, saying, be authentic, go with your gut, follow your heart, you know, go with your primal instincts. That's one of his favorite phrases, primal instincts, and other business leaders. Mm -hmm. And that's terrible advice. It leads to the ruination of successful companies and high-flying careers. And that's where it goes. With business leaders, they tend to repeat the same things because they hear the same things from these business gurus who they tend to respect. So it's kind of a cycle that mm -hmm. feeds into itself. And it's a very vicious and unfortunate cycle for the success of our businesses. I'm just thinking of coaching. I'm often paid to tell people the things they don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. And if I'm doing my job, some of those days are tough. Yeah. But required because I'm the one that keeps them from uh, – now, certainly I'm not the only one, right? They're surrounded in theory by really good people. But I am one of the people that keeps people from falling in the manhole that, that's open. And that feels like an ethical requirement even though it doesn't make me popular at times. Hopefully I've built trust. Yes. So we'll be right back. For our listeners, I encourage you during break to think about, do you actually encourage people to tell you the truth, or do you say those words and then behave in a way that is very inconsistent with that? So you are with Gleb and Maureen, and we will be right back and talk about disastrous decisions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute 
offers proven results backed by leading edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. So in this segment... We're going to talk about the dangers of going with your gut, and we want to resume with the question of coaches and gurus on occasion, maybe often, I'm not in those sessions, are advising people to go with their gut. Now, I have said that to people, but it's also people who I've observed over time, and they have consistently demonstrated positive judgment. And they are decisions that aren't easy to research. Mm -hmm. So there are times we do have to go with our history. So I'm thinking of uh, actually teaching decision-making years ago and and the idea of for someone like a firefighter, it's not necessarily gut. It's that they've done this thousands Mm -hmm. of times and they can feel a floor and if it's going to collapse or not. So I put that in a different category than my primal brain or just, yeah, I think it's all okay. They're testing, but if I observe them, I wouldn't know necessarily what's going on in their thought process. So I did want to make Mm -hmm. that distinction also. Sure. So here uh, are two separate points, and I can talk about that last one. The other point that you raised was that some people hire you to specifically tell you the uncomfortable truth. So we can talk about that. They may not think they're hiring me for that, but I feel like that is my ethical requirement. Great. So let me address that last point first. There's extensive research showing that people who are self-aware mm-hmm. and who are aware of their emotions and are aware of their relationships to others, leaders, business mm-hmm. leaders, are much more likely to want more education, training, and professional development in exactly those areas. Okay. Whereas people who are 
prominent high-level business leaders, and we can talk about yeah, the, the examples. <laughs> yeah, let's not give names, but we can talk about those examples <laughs> who don't have that level of self-awareness and self-management. They are much less likely to hire the kind of coaches who would give them this, such advice. They're much more likely to hire coaches, consultants, and so on who reinforce their Got current it. tendencies okay. and who serve as justifications for the de decisions that leaders make. So, you know, you bring in a third-party coach or consultant and uh, this leader can blame that third-party coach or consultant for decisions that the leader wants to make that aren't popular. That's kind of another modality of mm -hmm. coaching, which mm -hmm. you don't practice and I don't practice. I don't consider it very ethical and I'm sure you don't, <laughs> but that's kind of a distinction between some coaches and consultants and mm -hmm. others. So that seems like an important distinction as well that many of the people I work with, they pick me because they mm -hmm. have a high level of self-awareness. Otherwise, they wouldn't be talking to me anyway. Yes. Because th that's my practice mm -hmm. is helping people build those both the awareness and the skills that go with it. So I like the distinction that there are people who will be more successful going with their instincts, which have already been, again, refined and taught extensively versus someone who has fewer instincts. Fewer healthy instincts, right. And so this... <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. And I have a specific disclaimer on okay. the, my, the consulting page of my website saying, hey, you want a yes man? Don't hire me. <laughs> okay. So kind of whereas many people are looking for yes men when they hire coaches just for emotional mm -hmm. support instead of therapists, who is mm -hmm. what, which is what they should hire when they want emotional support or get a dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never told. Well, yeah, I have not generally recommended getting a dog, but I'm a fan of dogs when you... Yes. So, off, off topic. Off topic. But um, anyway, the other question you raised about the healthy instincts. So another big problem with telling people go with your gut is that this is a very, very fuzzy concept, going with your gut. Now, there are two distinct things that people often incorporate into going with their gut. One is the tribal instincts and the fight or flight response that come from our evolutionary response that are inbred in us. So mm -hmm. that's a very, very dangerous and problematic tendency. Can Another, I elaborate on that? Sure. Uh, at least one of the things I understand is if something, has, if a trauma has happened to me before, my brain prioritizes that trauma a number mm -hmm. of times higher. So when I see that event, I'm going to react physiologically. Mm -hmm. When something else happens that I haven't seen before, my brain won't react with the same level of physiological physiological response. So my physiology is telling me something's dangerous that may have been dangerous because it happened when I was five years old. That's right. And that's a cognitive bias thinking error called attentional bias, where we tend to pay attention to things that are most emotionally salient for us. From a business context, I'll give an example of a leader I worked with who had a long time Second in command, the leader he discovered was actually stealing from him and uh, stealing business secrets, stealing money, and had to fire him. And that traumatized the business leader. And he, for a long time afterwards, still now somewhat, has a lot of trouble trusting other people who he works with in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. And so he tends to look at that sort of problem uh, and his mistrust causes him ser some serious mm -hmm. problems mm -hmm. as a result of that. Uh, so that's kind of a business case trauma, right? So we have some instincts that come from the evolutionary background and fr from what happened to us. We also have 
things that we have now integrated that are very healthy behaviors. For example, a lot of business leaders have integrated the behavior of being able to delegate well. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very complex behavior. It's completely not inborn. It's something that we have to develop. But many leaders have now developed it and are able to do so quite easily. Or let's say being able to take constructive critical feedback. That's a very hard skill. And if you want to succeed as a leader, you need to be able to do that, even if you're at the very top level of your especially company. If especially if you're at the top level. You need to be able to do that with clients. You need to be able to take constructive critical feedback from clients and from consultants, coaches who you work and with. from your team. You have mm -hmm. to create an environment where they can tell you the truth. Yes. I mean, most of us don't want to hear <laughs> that we're, we're missing something mm -hmm. significant, but that's when we need to hear it. Exactly. I absolutely agree with that. So you have hopefully integrated these behaviors, but remember how hard and difficult it was to integrate them. I mean, uh, think about driving a car. You weren't born <laughs> learning how to drive a car. You had to learn how to do that. And now most of us who have learned to do that drive an autopilot. We drive automatically. Mm -hmm. It feels like we're going with our gut when we're driving a car. And that was the thing I was trying to say earlier. Uh -huh. It feels like we're going with our gut, but we're going with we're decades healthy, of experience. Exactly. Healthy experience. And here is what For healthy experience here's what healthy experience means from the research in cognitive neuroscience, behavioral economics. It means that you have made these types of decisions very often before in the past and they have been, you have gotten a lot of feedback showing you that those decisions have been correct. So in only those areas, should you actually trust your gut and go with your intuitions. Okay. So where you have, again, made this decision lots of times in the past and gotten quick feedback showing that you've made the right decision. Whereas or you've made the wrong decision in or the driving made, case. Right. And, you've, and you have changed your behavior mm -hmm. to make mm -hmm. sure that you make the right decisions. That's when you're fine trusting your gut. Okay. However, in the large majority of cases, people trust their gut for new decisions. Like, let's say, hiring someone. First of all, it's not something that we do very often. And second, we don't get immediate feedback back on whether we've hired the right person. It might take mm -hmm. you know, three to six months to know whether somebody will work out. And again, we don't do that very often, but people tend to trust their gut with, the, <laughs> with that sort of thing. And uh, they tend to trust their gut too much. If you look at, let's say, prominent professionals like doctors, mm -hmm. you'll see that they are very, very confident about the quality of their diagnosis. So you'll get the doctors and they say, you know, I'm definitely <laughs> confident that I'm correct. But when you see other professional doctors looking at the same patient and giving diagnosis, mm -hmm. you'll see that their diagnosis correlate only 77% of the time. Interesting. And well, and I'm thinking of, I work with a medical center with, with folks in the cancer hospital, and that's why they do cross-group tumor boards, that they're getting feedback consistently on, uh, I'm assuming, high-difficulty patients. <laughs> so I love that idea that while it's, it is a process set up to build learning and avoid mistakes, I'm assuming. Yes, and that sort of process has been only getting going in the last five to ten years okay. in most medical institutions because the research has been coming out very recently, and it takes a lot of time. Well, the research came out maybe about two decades ago, but okay. it takes a lot of time for institutions to change like that. Uh, so, for example... The, one of the biggest innovations in medicine that has cut down malpractice suits uh, and medically mm -hmm. caused, hospital caused diseases by about 50% has been uh, the institution of checklists in medical practice. So, for example, a checklist telling a doctor and a nurse to wash their hands before seeing a new patient. 
it's something you'd be surprised. But before the institution of these checklists, only two-thirds of doctors and nurses have been washing their hands for when they transition from one patient to the other. Now mm. it's much higher. And it, because of checklists and other, other sort of nudges like this one. Mm -hmm. And it will be surprising to many who are listening to this, but that only, you know, a doctor who touched another patient and then came to you, mm -hmm. you know, touched you, you know, carrying their disease over. But that's how so many medically, so many hospital transmitted diseases happen. And we have so many examples in business of the same problem happening, where business leaders go with their intuitions, looking at other business leaders, what they do. And not thinking about what is the actual best thing to do based on the research, based on best practices. So I'm thinking specifically of pilots I was with doing a check ride with someone. And they have a checklist. Mm -hmm. And pilots seem to be comfortable following a checklist, mm -hmm. at least when I've been in the cockpit, which isn't that often. But, but that seems to be the process by which they ensure a high probability of success. Because mm -hmm. failure isn't spreading a germ. It's... <laughs> We're yes. all dead yes. or potentially dead. So it does make sense for tasks that are risky, mm -hmm. we would have checklists. But why yeah. hasn't that then translated to other areas that are risky but not as obviously fatal? For example, like business. You know, <laughs> when is the last time you saw somebody going for a checklist before doing a merger or an acquisition? When have you seen? You when's would the, hope they're going through some kind of. No. They don't have... I have worked with many people going for mergers and acquisitions, and I've had to drag them kicking and screaming <laughs> to go through a systemic process with a checklist hmm. because they feel like they trust their own judgment. They feel like they know best, and they don't want to go through a process that causes their leadership qualities to be questioned. So here we get to the going with your gut. And why a lot of leaders don't like to use structure and process, because it causes them to feel like they're being questioned, like their capacity hmm. as leaders is under judgment, is under doubt, because they've learned over a lot of period of time. This is especially dangerous for the most senior leaders in the organization who can talk about why, but they've learned over a long period of time that... They have advanced because of their capacity. And now you're going to give us this process. Now you're going to give us this checklist. How dare you? This is the same sort of thing that caused doctors to take mm -hmm. a decade to adopt the checklists before in hospitals mm -hmm. before they would actually be using them and what caused this huge drop in mm -hmm. medically transmitted, hospital transmitted diseases. And leaders don't want to do that. Uh, they, they have the same sort of arrogance that doctors do who think, I know best. I'm a doctor. How can you tell me to use this checklist? Wouldn't it be wonderful if business leaders may use checklists before choosing a new critical supplier or before launching a new product or before merger and acquisition? Use the structured process of some sort that says, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, here's step four. But they don't. They don't. And that's why so many of the terrible decisions happen that I cited at the beginning, where so many large companies, just because of bad strategic decisions, not anything because of the external environment, mm -hmm. because of bad strategic decisions, 
they went bankrupt. About 50% of them that went bankrupt did so because of these decisions. You know, it's curious to me, and I don't use checklists, but we use very structured processes. It, which and is the, 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 the essence of uh, checklists is to use structure. You know, step one, step two, step three, step four. Mm-hmm. So there's not much of a difference. It's, the okay. essence is to use a structured process. Because there is nuance in the process that I wouldn't necessarily complete in a checklist. Well, and coming out of a consulting background, we do structure and process. Mm-hmm. So speaking of structure and process, you talk about the SWOT analysis. So so looking at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, and that that provides false comforts. Mm-hmm. Say more about that. Sure. So SWOT is one of the most popular strategic tools ever. Very quick, very effective. Uh, well, it's not a quick, but it's an effective tool that many people think that is quite effective. However, it's really not nearly as effective as people tend to think it is. Why? Because when you go through it, there are two aspects. When you go through it, when you look at strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, if you don't account for the dangerous judgment errors that we tend to make as human beings, you will come up with the wrong strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. For example, many people tend to be greatly overconfident about themselves, which means that they will come up with too many strengths, not nearly enough weaknesses, not nearly enough threats, and too many opportunities. So when, people like me are the opposite. We, <laughs> great. we come up with all weaknesses and threats. And, and that's perfect for a, a consultant, <laughs> but yeah. if you look at business leaders, <laughs> consultants tend to have a risk-oriented and a pessimistic personality. Okay. Business leaders tend to be overwhelmingly optimistic and risk-blind. And hmm. this is just, if you look at the personalities of business right. leaders, th- this is what it, it is the case. And they tend to come up with the wrong answers on SWOT for that reason. That's one of the reasons. Interesting. So the tool's not defective. It's the mindset that enters to mm-hmm. use the tool. That's the mindset aspect. The second aspect has to do with the way the tool is used. It's used overwhelmingly in group situations. And groups tend to align notoriously around mm. the opinion of the most powerful alpha, male, or female within the group. Mm-hmm. And if you don't correct for that, you get what's called groupthink. Yeah. Whereas people just say, yes, I agree with the opinion of the powerful person, mm-hmm. whatever she or he says goes, and they don't actually contribute anything different than what the most powerful person says. So unless you correct for that, that's also a case. So I would say the tool itself is somewhat defect is in the inherent nature of the tool is defective because you use it with the kind of people who you tell business leaders use this tool, you, it'll be great. Mm-hmm. It won't be. You need to address dangerous judgment errors as part of the tool and you need to address groupthink as part of the tool. And people don't do that overwhelmingly. Okay. So this is good for me to think about as I'm I use it often one on one with a conversation with someone I've worked with where I can say accurate or inaccurate based on what I've seen of you. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Okay, we're going to go on break. You are with Gleb and Maureen. We're talking about the dangers of using your gut intuition. And so I would invite you as you're listening to commercials to think about If you are a person who is more risk-focused, will you overemphasize risks or threats and weaknesses, or are you overly optimistic, which is most entrepreneurs, because nobody starts a business (laughs) if they're not somewhat optimistic, and you overfocus on strengths? We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We all hear about information security, identity, and privacy threats. The more technology becomes part of our lives, with more data created to provide insights about our lives, the more concerned we need to be. That's why it's important to tune in to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Host Rebecca Harold is an internationally recognized expert in these areas. Rebecca and her guests will let you know how to keep your business and personal data safe. Listen live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're now moving into cognitive biases as our topic and also into the segment where we give you some practical suggestions on what to do about this. So let's start with the question, why are people at the highest level most likely to suffer from dangerous judgment error? That seems contrary to what I would think that my most junior people with less experience would be the most likely Mm -hmm. to make mistakes. And presumably my most senior people are also a bit older and more experienced And so why are they making the judgment errors? There are a couple of reasons. One of the main reasons that if you think about the education of junior people who have just finished their MBA and who have just finished their education, they often have more information, more current information, including Mm -hmm. cognitive neuroscience, which is entering business schools, how you make the best decisions, what's the best practices, rather than people who have experienced in the business. And so... When the people are at the top level, they are thinking about the environment as more static. 
They are more experienced with the environment. They're not as used to the environment changing, becoming increasingly disrupted as it is in the current modern environment. Mm -hmm. So they are making more mistakes due to not accounting for the growing disruption in the environment that is surrounding them. So that's one reason why people at the top level who are the most senior tend to make surprisingly more errors than people who are more junior. That's one reason. Another reason is overconfidence. If you look at, let's say, I'll bring in doctors as an example since we talked about them. So there's extensive studies of doctors comparing the most junior doctors, the most senior doctors looking at the same patient. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that they make the right diagnosis and the wrong diagnosis at about the same level of uh, hmm. accuracy. However, the most senior doctors, the most experienced ones, are much more confident about the quality of their diagnosis and thus much less willing to change their minds when new evidence comes along. And that's the same thing happens for business leaders. They tend to be, who are the most experienced, they tend to be much more overconfident about the quality of their judgments and much less willing to change their minds. So that's two. The third problem with the most experienced and senior business leaders tends to come from the fact that as they rise in the organization, they get cut off from previous sources of information mm -hmm. on which they rely. And so they have to rely on reports from others of, which is vulnerable to the shoot the messenger effect, mm -hmm. which is one of the cognitive biases where people don't want to report negative information up the chain of command, and they are thus less able to make good decisions because they're getting worse information. So let's move that into then, you talked about the shooting the messenger and and leaders not being open to mm -hmm. the negative news, especially about themselves, and also the pace of change accelerating. And if I'm relying on my experience from earlier in my career, I haven't adjusted for that. And so you talk about the, the errors that economists call cognitive bias. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about that? And specifically, what do I do to watch for them? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a senior leader, how do I defend against these poor decisions? So the cognitive biases, and we can talk about specific structural, in next to comment, we can talk about structures uh, and processes to address them. But the cognitive biases are the specific deviations from making the best decision that we tend to suffer from because of our evolutionary background and because of how our brain is wired. So we talked about several of them. Another one that is quite uh, prominent among business leaders is called the false consensus effect. The false consensus effect basically is that you tend to think of yourself and other people as very similar, as much more similar than you are. And this leads to business leaders to a lot of, into a lot of trouble when they're judging, for example, people younger than themselves. They tend to think of people younger than themselves as younger versions of themselves, rather than accounting for the changes that are coming up in younger people. You know, you have mm -hmm. the millennials who are coming up and who are digital natives. They have significant personality differences. For example, they're much more introverted than older generations because they spend so much more time with less face-to-face -face and more with technology. Hmm. They're much more comfortable with quick communication and internet research. They are, have much less capacity to remember things because they can outsource their memory to other tools. So there are a lot of personality differences Maybe that I'm result... Maybe a millennial. <laughs> Maybe you are. 
<laughs> so there are a lot of personality differences, and business leaders tend to miss that, and they tend to miss the same sorts of things when they're judging the market mm-hmm. and because of the false consensus effect. And there are many other dangerous judgment errors, which I talk about in my book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. So the assessment and dangerous judgment errors that I mentioned, that you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, is a specific tool not to to solve the dangerous judgment errors, but to get more awareness of them. And I'm happy to give it to anyone. Uh, I'm happy for anyone to go to disasteravoidanceexperts.com slash subscribe and sign up to that and to mm-hmm. receive it. It's the 30 most dangerous judgment errors and the behaviors that are associated with them so that people can look at the behaviors and see mm-hmm. whether they or people around them are falling into these dangerous judgment errors. And it gives you next steps on how to address these dangerous judgment errors. Now, I chose 30 dangerous judgment errors out of over about 100 that are actually out there mm-hmm. that we know. And we're coming up with maybe about one more every couple of months that we're discovering because this is cutting-edge research that we're just kind of finding out. So this is uh, something that I would advise folks to do who want to actually figure out what are the dangerous judgment errors and how they can address them. Great. Thank you. I, yeah, sorry. I'm thinking about, I wonder which ones of those I'm using. I should have taken the assessment before we started. <laughs> well, now you <laughs> can take it afterwards. So when we do our blog, I'll not post my results. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. So what are the strategies beyond taking your Mm -hmm. assessment that I can use, uh, especially if there are structural ones, Mm -hmm. to help me address judgment errors? Because I'm paid to be right. Sure. At least most of the time. Sure. I think of myself as paying to provide people with the right process, with the right structure. Mm -hmm. And this is incredibly important. Process and structure is the way that we can outsource to other uh, venues outside of ourselves, outside of our unfortunately very flawed brain, the mm-hmm. ways that we can address the dangerous judgment errors. Now, there are a number of uh, processes, and we have to. Th- I would recommend that people distinguish between judgments that are good enough and judgments that are important to get the best and perfect judgment. For good enough judgments, you can do a process that takes less than five minutes. You can just answer five quick questions that I have them on a business card that I give out to my clients. It's available on my website, disasteravoidanceexperts.com. So why don't you tell us, since nobody else is sitting in the room that yes. can... Yes, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll read out the questions okay. so that you can learn about it, and you can go to my dis- website, disasteravoidanceexperts.com, and there are blogs about it. So what important information did I not yet fully consider? is the first question. And there are two aspects to this question. When you think about the information, you want to think about information that goes against that goes against your preferred judgments. Okay. You want to go, so figure out counterfactual information. How can you disconfirm your preferred judgment? Because if you can't disconfirm it, you can be much more confident that that's the right judgment. So I'm going to repeat that because that's so important. How do I disconfirm? So I'm looking for evidence that I'm wrong. Exactly. Instead of evidence that I'm right. And our brains are oriented to look for information that confirms and discard information that disconfirms. Exactly. So we're consciously looking for what have I missed? Exactly. And that goes against a number of cognitive biases like the confirmation bias, which is exactly what you said. We tend to ignore information that says we're wrong and look for information that says we're right. Unconsciously. Unconsciously, exactly. And so second one, one dangerous judgment errors, cognitive biases, did I not yet consider that are relevant to this question? What would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do? So imagine, you know, your inner Marine. What would she suggest you do? (laughs) 
<laughs> or one of my parents. There you go. Or or my business partner. There you go. And, Somebody and frankly, I do look to other people often, mm-hmm. not because I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I miss things. I know that mm-hmm. I don't have enough information and I don't have time to get it all. So I look mm-hmm. to people who see the world differently. I look to Susan, with whom I work, <laughs> to, to help me see things I miss often. That's excellent. So that's the kind of things that you want to be thinking about. Okay. We get about 50% of the benefit of, uh, according to research, of getting trust and objective advisor by just imagining what this person would tell us. Oh. And the other 50% from actually consulting this person. Actually talking to them helps me. Yes. So both <laughs> of those are helpful. Now, the fourth one, how have I addressed all the ways that this could fail? Mm. So this gives you the majority of business leaders who are optimists a way of thinking about failure. They really don't like to think about failure. One of the biggest fears of business leaders that I work with, probably that you work with, is failure. Is being seen as a failure, Mm -hmm. is failing in their projects. By giving yourself permission to think about how have I addressed all the ways that this can fail, you can actually prevent these failures. Okay. And finally, what new information will cause me to revisit this decision? That is especially helpful for group settings when there's always going to be a couple of people who are opposed to the decision and they're, they're always going to say, you know, I told you so, this is a bad decision, mm-hmm. when any new negative information comes up. If you decide what would cause you to revisit this decision in advance, you will avoid so many more problems in the future for yourself and for others in the group setting, but also in individual settings. If you don't have to rethink to yourself every time some information comes up that counteracts a decision. So that sounds a little bit like scenario planning. I'll look at the possible futures, the probability of mm-hmm. each of them happening, and what do I do when I start seeing the runway up to those decisions so I can take corrective action? And also looking at the most negative scenario so I can take any action I need to to prevent the plane going off the runway. Yes, so the scenario planning, uh, which is definitely a great technique that was, uh, I believe, BP created it in the 1970s. So one of the things, and and that question has some similarities to it. One of the things that scenario planning, again, fails from is some of the same problems with SWOT. People tend to be too optimistic and people tend to be making this decision in a group setting, which, again, groupthink and too much optimism. So you want to counteract for that both of those things when you do scenario planning as well. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Gleb. So I'm going to summarize and then give it back to you to again repeat book name and website. Mm -hmm. So going with your gut leads to dangerous judgment errors that behavioral economists and cognitive neuroscience scholars call cognitive bias, which lead to disastrous decisions that devastate highly profitable companies, top-notch careers, and great business relationships. And we've probably all seen those happen in the microcosm, if not the most successful people. You can learn about this by picking up Gleb's new book, Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. What else do you want to make sure listeners know as we wrap up? If folks want to get a sample of what will be in the book and just get a very useful assessment, I would strongly recommend that they go to disasteravoidanceexperts.com slash subscribe and subscribe for the assessment on dangerous judgment errors. And they can find out what's going on in their heads, what's going on in their hearts, what's going on in their guts, and what's going on in the team and company around them. And address these cognitive biases, which cause so much suffering. One of the things I really want to do is help people address suffering, and this addressing dangerous judgment errors and bad decisions does that. 
Great. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We love to hear your feedback. Please email me at info at innovateleader.com. And I do respond to your, your comments. Send me a LinkedIn request and just put a note that you listen to the show and I will accept your request. And we're also available on Facebook, Innovating Leadership. I would love to hear feedback, comments about the show specifically or anything as an overall what you would like to hear more or less of. Thank you for joining and I hope that you join us again soon. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.